just tell me what, what's one thing you uh, look forward to doing on this holiday when you were a kid. Ready? One, two, three. Great. That's awesome. I think I heard sparklers, but outside of that, I didn't hear much else. So I, I do remember the sparklers. They're, uh, uh, I don't know if they're enacted in our place too often, but they are. But we're glad that you're with us this morning. We are in a series uh, from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, have you ever played the game, Would You Rather? Would You Rather? Have you ever played? Anybody? Yeah. So we're going to play a little game of Would You Rather this morning, you know, just to lighten up uh, church. Uh, it gets a little heavy, a little thick sometimes. Uh, it does have a point, so, all right. Yeah, you gotta have, uh, you gotta have game show type style music to play Would You Rather. So the question is, question is, would you rather eat a hamburger or a hot dog? Seems like a, a, a r- appropriate for this weekend. Hamburger or hot dog? Oh, sorry. Turn, you have to create either a triad or a couple of people around you. Best played with people you don't know. I mean, I know that's scary, uh, but go ahead and do that. So uh, find a couple, you know, one other person. All right. And right, we're going to go through this really quick. So find some friends. Some new friends. Good. Yeah. All right, here we go. Made from new friend. That's good. Would you rather eat a hamburger or hot dog? Go. All right, and you don't have to go into the reasons why, okay? Uh, all those type of things when you go through. All right, ready? Uh, next question. Would you rather have rain or snow? Would you rather have a beach or a museum vacation? Uh, Okay. Would you rather travel by car or by airplane? Wow, that was mixed. All right, everybody answer. Would you rather, rather read or listen to a book? All right. Would you rather do something adventurous or safe? What in the world's going on over here? Wow. All right. <clears throat> Back to uh, maybe more of an uh, Independence Day type question. Would you rather have apple pie or ice cream? <laughs> sure, yeah. Why, if, if you're going to have, you know, one or the other. All right, if you've moved or you want to stay where you're at, that's fine today. As we enter our text, it's easy to see where the couple of people we're going to be talking about played this game. Would you rather or would I rather? I mean, they thought about their situation. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Matthew 9, we're going to be starting in verse 18. Listen to this passage as I read again. And again, I thank Jason for reading for us. While he was saying this... Now remember, we have finished a, uh, it's been a couple of weeks, but he was uh, on a fasting diet, you know, talking about fasting. And as he was saying this, Matthew records, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. Now we're talking about Jesus. But come and put your hand on her and she will 
live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Now, there are a few things that maybe we know about, but we just need to lean into and remind ourselves about this passage. And if we don't know about this, we need to understand what's transpiring. A synagogue leader, you just have to say, wow. Can you say, wow? Wow. A synagogue leader. Why do we say, wow? Because this synagogue leader crossed the picket line. Do you know that? Okay, some of you guys are union people. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, he, this guy crossed the picket line. And he did what wasn't supposed to happen. Let me ask a question. What would it take for you to cross a picket line in your life? What would it take for you to, to ask for help from those who supposedly are the other side? I won't even say enemy, but that may be the case. What would it take? What is it that's so, so like, ah, oh, if this happened, then I would, but otherwise I wouldn't. <laughs> it would be like a Michigan player defending a Michigan State player. Right? Oh, it got really quiet. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I think I hit it. I think I hit it. Or Michigan fans, I have, sorry, there's a reason why I'm doing this. A Michigan fans congratulating and going out of their way to congratulate Ohio State after they got beat soundly. Yeah, oh, there's a low murmur. That's right. Now you're understanding. And, you know, I think it's more the fans, by the way, than it's sometimes the players. But, <clears throat> yeah, here's this synagogue leader coming to Jesus. Now listen to this. Jesus is not coming to him. Do you catch it? In most every situation we encounter, Jesus is going along and he sees somebody. They call out to him. But this synagogue leader literally crossed the picket lines, if you will, and goes to Jesus. And not only did he go to Jesus, but he takes a posture that is preposterous, <laughs> right? He kneels. And most everybody understands the concept of kneeling is the concept of worship, the concept of need, the concept of I can't do this, you possibly can or you can, right? I mean, what's it like? For someone to kneel in front of somebody else. It's an act of submission. It's an act of recognition that this person can do something I cannot do. Never could I. So let me ask you, when's the last time you knelt before anyone? You put your pride aside and you realize that someone over there, someone else, could do something you can't do. And you went... Uh, will you please help? I can't do this. If the Queen of England were to walk through the door, there might be a response out of some of us out of respect to at least uh, bow or curtsy. I'm not so sure Americans are into kneeling. <laughs> 
But some of you might, for simply this reason, she's one of the longest, uh, she has the longest duration of any sitting, sitting monarchy, right? Yes, yes, and I brought this in on Independence Day. Isn't it crazy? There's a purpose. This man, a ruler in the synagogue, kneels before Jesus. Could it, be, could it be an act of that worship that we even spoke about? One scholar noted that for a ruler to cross the picket lines between Jesus, it means that he, between Jesus and those who are going to kill Jesus, I mean, this is what's being set up here, folks. Was this term desperate? That he was desperate that he was in an extremely bad situation where all else has failed. Nothing he has done to this point is making any difference. So let me ask you, what would you do if this were, if you were this daughter's father or mother? Seriously. When I was a kid, I couldn't have been more than eight years old a little boy younger than me died in our church of cancer. The grief uh, in, at that funeral service and was palatable. You could cut it with a knife. And we were all sad that Mark had died and that he was G- with Jesus. Yet the grief was nothing of that mother's grief. I remember... Um, sitting next to my mom, my dad wasn't there. I don't, I don't even know why she took me, probably because she couldn't put, place me anywhere else, meaning <clears throat> a bunch of different things, I guess. Yet I remember that little casket being wheeled to the front of the sanctuary, and as happens, the family followed behind, but as the family were instructed to take a seat in the pew, the mother was not cabinet. The mother clasped her hands around that casket and wailed and wailed and wailed. It took all that a few of them could do to convince her that taking a seat was probably a good thing to do. She didn't want Mark to die. Neither did the rest of us. And I know, know from the stories, because I grew up with one of Mark's sisters in my youth group and very close age, that they hungered to see Mark's cancer cured. I'm pretty sure that this image that I have in my mind from my childhood, and I have others, I saw desperation. I saw grief and I saw a woman whose heart was just broken. Now, her, now his dad's heart was broken too, but the response was not as, uh, not the same. This synagogue ruler was desperate, my friends. <laughs> to come and kneel before Jesus. <laughs> this is incredible. He, he moved boldly and bodily where many of us do not even dare to go not even here today can I just call it out some of you have things that are desperate in your life and yet to find yourself in front of other people's prostrate or kneeling would be the furthest thing from your mind because you're afraid this man moved 
There was something stirring within him, a a truth that bubbled in his heart that moved to his mouth. She had died, but, but he says this, but come and place your hand on her and she will live. Put your hand on her, what? I mean, he's telling Jesus what to do. Think about this. Isn't this crazy? Isn't it a little daring, uh, a little bit of outside the, the normal religious box? Yeah, but that's what desperation does to you, folks. It makes you, it leads you to cross the picket line and to consider what could be that is not yet. And what happens is incredible in and of itself. Matthew records that Jesus and his disciples get up and start to go with him. And commentators say this, but I noticed this. Jesus doesn't say a word. He just gets up. It's as if there's something that has compelled him from what this synagogue ruler has stated. And it's not just what he has stated, it's what he has done. There's a desperation of who he is that leads Jesus to follow, if you will, or to go with him. Let me ask you this morning, what are you desperate for God to do for you? What would move you to do something that would be a little nutty in front of others? A little uh, compromising to the way that you have said you believe and the way you walk? Hmm, It's incredible. So what would bring you to your knees to seek God for a change? Today. There was a crowd. He confessed his need for Jesus, the Messiah, publicly. Not to show, not as a show, but in complete desperation. The ruler Jesus, the ruler Jesus and the disciples, they begin to walk where, where the daughter, who now lay dead to the house they they walk but they be they are interrupted verse 20 says just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and she said to herself if only if i only touch his cloak i will be healed wait a second so you have this man, this synagogue ruler whose daughter dies and says to Jesus, just touch her, just lay your hands on her. And then you have this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and she says, if only I touch his cloak. If only. Desperate. 12 years of bondage to this suffering. And we may look at it as only physical suffering because of the way we do life and the way our culture is today. But this, this suffering put her in a social, is socially compromising for her because she would have been ceremonially unclean. She couldn't enter into church as normal. In fact, she probably shouldn't even, if you look at Mark's gospel, she probably should not even be in the crowd that she is in because she is ceremonial unclean. And if somebody touches her, then they're unclean too. She not only, <laughs> she breaks rules. 
It's crazy. To be cut off from society and worship, and she pushes herself in. If only I could touch his cloak. And again, another person who who is who's been thinking about what Jesus has been doing and maybe what he has been saying and the reports that have been coming. And she says, if I just touch the edge and she moves towards him. Now, the interesting thing is if we were reading it in another gospel's account, we realize that there was a crowd around Jesus that was pushing in. There were people touching him constantly. And when she reaches out and touches him, he realizes something happens. This deep conviction, this deep desperation she had to, to have wholeness and healing, to be restored, to be saved is an incredible thing. So what would it, <laughs> this may be counter to what you think you would be asking church, but what would make you ignore the rules, religious rules, to just touch Jesus? What would it be? What would move you so, you would compel you to kind of press in where you should not be? And the break rules that, well, you know are true because you've been living under them. She touched him. Hmm. He's the one who has been healing people. No one else. The doctors, I am sure she had many who have attempted to help her and others who have come alongside to bring healing. But Jesus turned, verse 22, Jesus turned and saw her. He says, take heart, daughter. He doesn't call her woman. He doesn't put her outside. He, he calls her a child. He brings her in. He said, your faith has healed you. And at that, at that moment, Scripture says, she was healed. Isn't this kind of what we wouldn't think would happen? Is, are we hearing what Jesus said correctly? Your faith healed you? She's thinking, if I can just touch the hem of his cloak, then I will be healed. But he does something in that moment. Says, oh, your faith. Your faith in me, healed you. We do know that from another gospel that there's power that left him, but the only reason that power left is because faith was enacted. It was put into practice. It was put into action. And we have to hear this. We have to understand this. As we walk through our world, walk where, where we may think or where we may believe we are, sick or unclean or whatever her uncleanness doesn't infect him at all it happens just the other way around his 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 presence infects her brings wholeness and healing tom wright says here's the mystery and this is where we found ourselves right now jesus has the power to heal but those who receive it are those with faith. 
the word that Matthew uses for healing in these verses here is also the same word to say it are the same words to use as save, rescue, or even salvation. And no earlier, no early follower of Jesus would miss this point at all. The, the dialect would have hit them squarely. They would have understood this. And what, was, what Jesus was doing was the beginning and the continuing work of rescuing the world, saving the world from what has been polluted and defaced and destroyed continuously. And those who benefit are those who believe. Those who have faith and take action. So as we are here this morning or wherever we're at when we watch this, how's your faith today? Did you come lacking faith? Because if you did, that's okay. It really is okay. Remember the boy who, the father who wanted healing for the boy who had epilepsy, right? He believed, he asked, he believed that Jesus could do it, but he said something kind of strange and peculiar and one something that we often say to one another, help my unbelief. And Jesus goes on to say that it just takes a, just takes a small seed of faith to move a mountain. We're back to the synagogue ruler. She's healed, and she goes on her way. I wonder what her, her days were like after that. I wonder if she went around, like, going, hey, can I pray for you? I, I know this man. I don't know. But we're back to the synagogue ruler who came with a desperate request for Jesus, in verses 23 and 24, when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's, leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people began playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him. Can you imagine? <clears throat> the, the bodies begin to, beginning to take on a cool feel, if not already. And Jesus says, the girl is not dead, but asleep. These last few phrases, I want you to pick up because it's language of people who have faith and who exude faith. It's not people who kind of go, oh, I don't know. I mean, the synagogue ruler said, look, if you lay your hands, Jesus, if you, just, if you just lay your hands, and we'll get there, right? If I only touch the hem of it, I mean, it, these are words of of faith, they're bold, they're daring. They're otherworldly. And what do they do when Jesus says this? They laugh at him. I mean, they were already, the, 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 the noisy crowd was wailing, if you want to know what's happening. Once somebody dies, there are paid professionals, even of this day, who come and mourn the death of your loved one loudly so that everybody would know. They dress appropriately. And the pipes that are played are, are pipes of somebody who's deceased. They laugh at him. 
So let me ask, have you ever said some, some very bold or daring statements? I mean, it not, may not even be about faith. It's all right. People look at you like, what? You got to be crazy. And then they, they slide in disbelief into your very spirit. I have a friend who is a doctor. She's a friend of mine from Coldwater. She wanted to be a doctor from a very young age, and she's from a, uh, a small town in the upper lower peninsula where, you know, it's kind of like what they said about Jesus. Nothing good comes from there. She was shearing one day when she was really young with, <clears throat> I believe, somebody in her church. When it was some family friend that she wanted to be a doctor someday. And this person looked at her and said, I don't know what you're ever going to do with that little pea brain. <laughs> Did I tell you that she's a doctor? <laughs> See, this is the case. Someone's disbelief does not make God's plans. It doesn't create it. She took that little statement and used it as fuel Maybe in, at some points not so good, but at other places good. She understood God's dream and desire for her that he had planted within her and pursued it with great intention. What about you? Are you playing a tape in your mind or your heart? Do you have people around you when you say, I want to do X? I believe God's calling me to do this. And they kind of go, really? And they say it just like that. And what happens if we're not careful and we, we don't have, uh, we're not guarding our hearts and our minds and Jesus, what happens is that it sticks. And then the evil one plays it. He didn't, say, he didn't have to say anything more than that, but he plays it in your mind and around you. Someone's disbelief does not make God's plans. Let me ask this. Have you ever been mocked for believing in God and in God's word as being the truth and grace this world desperately needs? Ever spoken some of God's truth and they kind of go, whoa, you think you're holy of holies, right? And you're just like, no, no not, not at all, right? If you have... This does not make it untrue. The person's unbelief does not make it untrue. It just means that they have unbelief at this point. Jesus lived by grace and truth. He endured and encountered all of that. And he continued to pursue the kingdom. Verse 25, after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. I wonder why he sent the crowd out. I wonder why he sent it out. Was it due to their unbelief? The distraction of bringing the kingdom to earth in that place, in that location? I'm not sure scripture doesn't say, but I do believe that the, fa the father and the disciples were there, though. In that room, in that place, in that location. They brought the faith. Their trust in what, what had been spoken 
and in their trust in Jesus brought about the transformation from sleeping to life. The kingdom of heaven brought to earth. You see, desperation potentially creates bold, dangerous, daring, and determined, faith-filled people. And I say potentially because that is the truth. Desperation is, is, a, is something that makes us dig really deep into our life. Because with it, desperation explodes our faith. It can be positive, but it also can be negative. That desperation explodes our faith. We, what we see is a father who hungered for Jesus, for what Jesus could bring to his daughter. Lay your hand on her and she will live. The woman who was bleeding for 12 years wanted a different outcome for the rest of her life. If I touch the hem of Jesus' cloak, the tassels, my life will change. Desperation explodes our faith. It makes us dig deeper And when I say explode, it goes in two different directions. We see what happens to this ruler and to this woman. But for some of us, we have been desperate. But our desperation has literally exploded our faith. We are not sure where Jesus is with us. And we have to be honest about that. And part of it has to do with we want it on our time in our place, in our space. And Jesus promises a breakthrough. Jesus promises that he will come through for us, but it may not always be as we see in this passage of Scripture. I have to be honest. There are many things, but he does come through. He does come through for us. And he sees us in our hunger and our desperation and meets us in those places if we are able to. Just simply, I think from these two illustrations, these two people, if we are willing to walk toward him, not away from him. If we're willing to lean into him and the community of faith who believes in him, we are able to see him realized in our lives in new ways. So let me ask you, as we move to our next steps, what are you desperate for God to restore? What are you desperate for God to restore? Let me ask you a couple of questions that may help to clarify this question. What posture are you willing to take? What posture are you willing to take? Is it the one that you've always been taking or is it one that he wishes for you or that you know he's nudging you to take. What language do you use around that very thing that you're talking about? Is there a desperation in your heart that that says, you know, if I can't, but God can, that kind of language, or is it like, well, it's no use. Either one has a desperation to it, but language around it helps us And what rules or customs and traditions are you willing to break? And I'm not talking about religious rules, and I'm not talking about laws of the land. I'm talking about rules that you have created 
that you have self-imposed on yourself. And you said, look, I, God, I, you know, and this goes back to the posture thing. I, I'm not, I won't ever do that. I won't ever say that. I will never move in that way. I'll never, what rules have you created? So if you're desperate for God to restore something in your life, what posture are you willing to take to have it restored? Let me ask this. Maybe you are not desperate. You came in this morning going, man, my life is great. I'm not desperate for anything. So let me ask this question. What is God desperate to restore? You see, if we're followers, as followers of Jesus, if you're here and you've yet to commit yourself to Jesus, uh, you, this really bypasses you. The first one really hit, may hit you strong, and you're like, yeah, I want God to do this. He may have another question for you. But as followers of Jesus, we have to ask the question, not is it what I'm desperate for, but what is God desperate to restore? I'm reminded of a couple of passages, and we could name a, a few more. In Luke 19.10, Jesus clearly says, For the man, Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If his desire is to seek and save those who do not know him, those who need healing, save the word, saying healing restored, brought back salvation, then his, his purpose is our purpose. His desire is that we would desire his restoration for the whole earth. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about his glory. It's about his kingdom. It's about bringing about his work. In another place in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 20, while he desires and hungers for the salvation of the lost, he also desires to bring about restoration to broken systems, broken people around him. And he was the conduit of that. As he went into the synagogue, it was his custom, he stood up to read a scroll. Maybe you remember this, and it was from the prophet Isaiah, and it says this, The Spirit of God is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. He has set the oppre- he's to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll and he hands it back and he says, in, in your viewing, this is all taking place. And so God's desire to restore is not just the lost and your desperate place and point of intersection with him, but it is to bring about healing for those who are around us, to bring justice to those who are oppressed, to bring freedom of which we celebrate on this weekend to those around us. So let me ask this question as we close out our time together. Where or who in your life do you want God to intersect with? You're desperate for. What is it? What are you willing to ask the Holy Spirit to come and intersect? Who is it? What is it? What will you be able, what what do you want him to do? 
The synagogue ruler knew exactly what he wanted Jesus to do. Come, lay your hands on my daughter and she will live. If I only touch the hem of his cloak. Would you rather have wholeness or continued brokenness? Would you rather be free or in bondage? The game still plays. But I think it comes with another question that this passage tells us. What posture will you, are you willing to take? What posture are you willing to take? You have a connection card that you've been either given or it's before you or online. Um, what I would like, because if there is a place of desperation in your heart and in your life, and you want us to intersect with that, you want God to intersect with that, I believe that you also want a community of faith of praying believers who are praying for that same thing to happen for you. So take that out, and on the back side of it, you can do this named or unnamed. I understand we like our anonymity, but you write your name on the front if you like it, and just write what it is. There's, there's no questions there's no curiosities, there's just praying. If it's a person we want to, you can just put that person's first name on that. If you would do that this morning, as we move to a time of prayer, I think the Lord would be honored. I'm also going to ask, too, that if there is something of desperation on your heart, historically the altar in a church has been one of those places in which we've laid those things before the Lord. And I know that it can be uncomfortable. It can be seemingly compromising. But what if, what if it is the difference between having a change and not having a change? Because he, he may see your posture. I can't promise that. Only the Holy Spirit's nudge on you could move you in that direction of seeing yourself in front of others who I can promise you will not, not think ill, but will be in prayer with you, in concert with you, desiring what you desire, seeing what God desires to do in and through your situation. So the altar will be open even as we pray now and as we sing late in a few moments. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for these two stories and the audacious faith of these friends in Scripture. But of your faithfulness through your son Jesus Christ to follow through and bringing the kingdom to earth only, only enlivens us with the promise that you are truly the way maker in places where we don't think there is a way. That you desire to bring freedom where there's bondage where you desire to bring healing, where there's brokenness, where you desire to restore, where we don't even think there's ability to restore, we realize and recognize we are in deep, deep need of you. And Father, we realize that in, in places in our lives where we realize we're unworthy. And Father, I believe my friends are willing to cross the picket line this morning, if you will, in a way. 
even those believing who have created some rules and expectations out of what they think. But, Father, your spirit is, is in our midst. Even on this weekend in which we have things to go to and events planned, Father, you have a desire to change lives. And so, Father, I ask that you would do that this morning. So, friends, if, if you have a, a, a deep, deep, desperate need this morning, or just a desperate need this morning. Listen to the Spirit. Take a posture. Allow your body and your mind and soul to remind yourself that you worship a God who is not, who is of the possible, not of the impossible. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize, you realize you you need to have a restored relationship with Jesus first. That your salvation is not about a desperation for another, but a desperation out of your own life, realizing that the road leads to nowhere that you're going. If you're really honest with yourself. And you want it to have purpose and intention, a form that gives freedom. And if that's the case, I invite you to pray this prayer with me this morning. It's on the screen. Or pray from your heart to say, Lord Jesus, I need you today. But the prayer on the screen is, Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy, grace, and love found in and through Jesus. Save me and forgive me from my sins. I give you my life and choose to follow, love, and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we are a people in need, bottom line. Some of us are still trying to determine whether we're in desperate need. But desperation creates miracles when we put our faith in you. So, Lord, help our unbelief.